I'm at the Cape Cod Symposium on Addictive Disorders. This is the 32nd annual CCSAD hosted by C4 Events. This is where I get my hands on the experts and the professionals in the field of addiction and mental health disorders. So you can have more help, more support, more connection to the information that is going to bring your family back from the brink of destruction, from these destructive habits, these destructive patterns, I'm Aaron Huey. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. We got to talk about insurance. This is going to be a fast, hard-hitting hammer show, and my guest has the voice for that. Um, I'm talking with David Nefusi, and um, we started talking yesterday about insurance. Um, as a facility that works, takes insurance, uh, as someone who has throughout the years uh, been with people who uh, struggle to get insurance companies to actually do what they said they were going to do, um, the moment the, the relationship goes south with an insurance company, insurance denying care, insurance saying ridiculous things like, is your child trying to commit suicide right now? No, then we're denying treatment. Like, just horrendous. And insurance companies start the relationship with a bad rap. David Nafusi, uh, for 27 years, has been dealing with insurance companies, and the, 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 the crap they pull, and I want him to just give parents some outlines of how to, how to use them as a partner and not as everything else we use them for. Uh, so David, thank you. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, having this opportunity and um, I appreciate for the heads up on uh, my uh, past, which I did work, as I say, on the payer side for 27 years. I actually do now work on the opposite side. After 27 years, I decided to take my skill set and now work on the provider side. And I now work actually for a substance abuse program uh, in the state of Massachusetts called Spectrum Health Systems, trying to make sure that their clients get access to the services that they need. And the good news is, which I love about my organization is, uh, as a not-for-profit organization, we do work with all payers, both the Mass Health membership as well as commercial membership, making sure it's access and services readily available to those members. When you when you say you're working uh, as a payer, what does that mean? That you were working for right. the insurance right. companies? So previously for 27 years, I worked on the payer side, which was the insurance company. So I started my career actually with a small company that was called Private Healthcare Systems. And I went from Private Healthcare Systems to what was known as Pilgrim Healthcare, which then became Harvard Pilgrim. And then I worked with a bunch of behavioral health organizations, which I'm sure potentially some of your listeners have dealt with, which oh, is yeah. Beacon Health Strategies, and now Beacon Health Options, Magellan I worked for. I worked for Pacific Care, which is UBH, otherwise known as Optum. Uh, before, after working for Optum for 13 years, I decided it was time to go on the opposite end and to now work with the providers and kind of using the skill sets that I had working on the uh, payer side to, to realize, and I think this is what your audience wants to understand, is it always is seen as an adversarial relationship. Every time. Right, and we want to avoid that. I think what you want to do is you want to try to make the insurance company work for you in a way that you're working together. So it's a true partnership. Now, again, if it's a facility, so what I've tried to do is create those partnerships with the insurance companies. As a person now who has a family member who requires or needs those services, you want them to be able to assist you and not be that barrier to prevent you getting- All right, so, so I wanna start that because I'm going to approach this show 
uh, knowing that you know the insides of the industry and now work on the other side trying to help people navigate the industry of insurance. Um, but I want to speak like the, the, the parent voice that I hear when parents ask questions, send me emails, or are in the facility struggling with insurance. How on earth can you create a partnership with someone who keeps denying your child care and your child is consistently on the brink of death, ODing, they're carving themselves up with razor blades like they don't feel like a friend and you say we want to have a partnership and my first the first thing the problem is who's we the parents the the insurance companies right. don't act like that so what's going on with an insurance company that they're going to approach a relationship with a child's life is on the line in the way that they do right i think one of the issues that i do find which is a true statement you made i i know working for several payers i used to always hear the line and I think you used it when you opened discussion. If they don't hear the key term that my child has suicidal tendencies, they're going to say, either, if they don't hear those words, they're going to say, well, the person doesn't need inpatient. They can be treated on an outpatient basis or, an, or in a less restrictive setting, which is not always the case. Sometimes people really do need that high-level care, but there's key terminology. And I'm not telling people to lie through fraudulent things. I think what has helped in a lot of cases, particularly – as it relates to insurance, and again, I know you, you know, your particular has have a program in Colorado. I can speak really specifically as it relates to the state of Massachusetts. Of course, of course. So in Massachusetts, they've created a lot of state mandates that have gone into place or regulatory requirements that have really put the kibosh on the insurance company. What they've done is they've kind of removed barriers. So the example that I can note right away, which has to do more of substance abuse. So in 2015, as everybody knows, the opioid epidemic kind of reached its, its, its apex. Right. So what happened was a number of payers, and they were national payers, if a person said they had a substance abuse issue and they needed a detox or they needed a residential and they were determined to be opioid only, so this could be your adolescent and they could be saying, you know what, I'm only, my, my kid only uses heroin. The belief is, and it can be done, I'm not saying sure, it sure. can't be done, a person can be treated and treated successfully in an outpatient basis with medication-assisted treatment, that can be a successful intervention. But what the decision was, they would always deny inpatient because they could always use that excuse saying it can be handled at a lower or lesser level. Right, right. They so want to save some money. Exactly. So what happened was in 2015, the governor of Massachusetts, which is the irony, was he used to also be uh, the head and chief executive officer of one of the largest health plans in the state, which wow. is Harvard Health Healthcare. Put a mandate in saying there's now, it was called Chapter 258, which said up front, any, all payers that have fully insured products, which are Massachusetts CITUS clients, and why Massachusetts CITUS means both the employee and the employer are residents of the state, and they're fully insured, they get automatically 14 days of treatment, whatever level of care it is, without any authorization of services. They have to get covered and the service. So they've removed the barriers so people can get in the treatment. That is, that's groundbreaking. Like when you're dealing with insurance companies who will say things to you like, well, you're, is your child trying to commit suicide right, right. now? Like, of course not. Like, but, but three days ago they did. Well, then they're not in crisis now. We're not going to. Okay. So now let's, let's get to the, the meat and potatoes for parents here. Let's say um, kids in the hospital. You get a call from the nurse that says your insurance has been denied. Mm 
You can't have your kid home. You're, you're, you've been paying for this policy. You've been paying $1,200 a month right. so your family has coverage. And, and you feel betrayed. You, your heart sinks. You don't have this cash laying around. You don't have the cash because you've been paying for an insurance policy each month. You're, you're automatically angry and pissed off and hurt and scared. How, how do I navigate this? Okay, what do so, I do? So this, that's interesting. So, again, I'm, I'm going to use my logic again here in Massachusetts. Right. So in Massachusetts, uh, in early 2000, they created uh, a, a program called OPP, which is the Office of Patient Protection. So what happens is when a patient or a family member has been unsuccessful in obtaining the services that they believe is warranted because of some clinical decisions that may be made, as we all know, a lot of times with the insurance company, depending upon who the payer is, it may not even be somebody making that decision who is on the opposite end of the phone. It is actually even within the state making those clinical decisions. A lot of the larger payers like Optum or UBH or companies even like Edna and Cigna, which their utilization could be done in a whole different state and they're making a clinical determination based upon information they may be given or not given. Right. Do that. What Massachusetts created by the OPP is there's now another place a client can go to, which was a regulatory body, that will speak on their behalf to try to get them to get the services. Should parents, should parents in anywhere, any state, look for some sort of advocacy group yes. to start with? Yes, because I think what happens in a lot of cases, what you will find with insurance companies, and particularly as it relates to children, because I think the last thing an insurance company wants is any negative media or press media as it relates to children <laughs> accessing services. I can tell you that because I've seen it over and over again. When immediately, when I worked for one of the payers, and immediately that there was a threatening comment that they're going to go to a leading newspaper like a Boston Globe or something like that, it's amazing how suddenly an overturn will come from some executive level saying, we're now going to authorize this because they don't want the negative media. And I don't want this to all come across as negative. In some cases, it then goes to an appropriate clinical body who will actually be able to really review the case and make a clinical decision that makes the most sense. It Fair may enough. be reviewed by a wrong person. And I think that's always been an issue. People immediately accept a decision that's being made by a clinical person, and that may, and they don't realize that they have other steps they can appeal. So the first step is always to appeal. The appeal. So what can always do an appeal? The appeal is usually done with the member, but it's done on behalf of them by the facility are the clinicians. So usually they write because when an appeal is being given, they're gonna, there has to be a reason for the appeal. So I'll give you an example, which is a good ex which is an example. Say the person has a psychiatric condition and yeah. they had suicidality. Yeah. They don't have suicide anymore, but the family has dealt for this for years. They don't want to take the client home because they're afraid they have other siblings in the house. They're afraid sure. that the person might go back and step back. They say, we don't want the patient home. You, you keep them there. Well, that doesn't meet medical necessity anymore, and I totally right. agree. Uh, you're right. You can't do that anymore. So the hospital's gonna, uh, the hospital, or the pay, or the provider's gonna have a tough time justifying that. However, if there is a situation where there is some extenuating circumstances that has clinical or medical necessity criteria included in it, there is a way to get that approved, and that's why you would want the clinical folks to be able to write that because they can use diagnostic information, information that is going to be relatable to the insurance company in being able to make a decision 
that is really evidence-based versus something that's being coming out anecdotal saying, well, you know, 18 year olds, they say something, but they mean something. Well, and also, also an emotional place where you're so terrified, you're screaming at an insurance agent. Now let's talk about this screaming at an insurance agent. You, you find yourself, you've been denied. And so you call back to find out why you've been denied. Does it help to try to talk to someone else? Do you, do you start, you know, I want to talk to your supervisor. Does that, does that work? You may not get the supervisor, but you may always want to. So from a member perspective, you always start with the, there is what is known as a, a member services department. So a member can, what, what they may want to do is what I would suggest when something like that happens, that they do it jointly. There's a collaborative effort between the member and the facility in trying to get more time. The member is working their end with their member services department or their employer, something like that. And a lot of times people may not want their employer to know that they have a child who needs treatment, but sometimes they actually they can be a really good advocate and they can support them. Because remember, if you work for a large employer group, that employer group, th- that insurance broker doesn't want to lose that payer. That's money in their pocket. Now, They're going to advocate for them. Yeah, you you have just brought something up that a lot of parents don't know is that if you work for a, a relatively large employer, their their insurance member services, their HR department, a, has a lot of resources for you. They might even be aligned with a treatment center. There are some places that businesses who know that if they're like there's a surgeons group that right. if a surgeon comes to the HR department and says my kid's struggling, and say we actually have a facility facility. That we, that we will co- we will contract with right. you know like but they have built in eaps too a right lot of eaps that's exactly what i'm talking about right. employee assistance program and because it's the hr department it's confidential correct you know you're not all of your your employees if you're a manager or your managers if your employer right. suddenly going to know that your kids tried to commit suicide three times and is going into treatment so correct. that's very important they'll be supportive so you could get them to assist you you as the member or work with the member service department and simultaneously, the treating provider is working on the appeal from a clinical perspective. So you're really having three entities all working on your behalf. I realize it might seem like a laborious or a painful or very long task, but let's face it, at the end of the day, isn't any parent going to do whatever they can to save their child? Yes, and I think the piece about this is that when parents will quit when they hear the first no. Yeah, you can't. It's devastating to watch. And and I, you just said you can't quit when you hear the first no. Is it because insurance company and their representatives are trained to say no first? Is that is that true? You know, I don't. I'm going to tell you, as a person who's worked on the payer side for 27 years, it would be against every belief that I have that an insurance company would do things strictly for the sake of making money. I'm not saying at the end of the day, there's not profit involved here, but at the end of the day, when I got into any one of these industries, I do want to believe that people want to do right by the client. Do you still believe that now being on the other side? Yes. Okay. I will say there are certain things within the insurance industry that I don't advocate for. So I'm going to go, I'm going to do a little tangent here and go off a little bit here. Example would be when a person on the provider side submits a claim, People think on the insurance side, the claims processor's job is to pay a claim. No, the claims processor's job is to figure out what the provider has done potentially wrong where they can deny a claim. People don't get that. And I don't want to come across as totally negative. No, no, no. But there's a lot of claims people that they're incentivized. They might say, you know, if this person didn't put the right ICD-10 code down and they use an ICD-9 code, a freaking, an old code set, or the CPT code, or they use an unlicensed clinician. Those are reasons for denial, and they're legitimate reasons, don't get me wrong. But what it does is it creates an additional administrative burden where people as the clinician side, 
a lot of cases after a while may just choose to write it off because they don't want to take additional steps to do things. So do I think that I don't want to say all insurance companies are evil, but do I think at the end of the day, do they have a little idea to figure out, well, do, you, do, do they like when I deny claims? I don't think they are opposed to them being denied. So you're one of the things you're saying to parents is that when a claim is denied, you the one of the first things you do beside you know as part of the appealing process is you've got to review the claim or you got to have that claim reviewed because it might be that the the therapist, a well qualified clinician, has made a typographical error. Oh, and usually, I would say again, if you're working with insurance, okay, in most insurance companies. It is what is known as a hold harmless clause within all the contracts. And basically what that means is on a hold harmless clause, you have to hold, the member cannot be held liable for any of those expenses. So if an insurance company gets denied, they cannot then go balance bill the client for those services that did not get paid for. So that concern usually is totally eliminated with almost all contracts that insurance companies have with providers. So that should never be a concern. The only time there might be a concern would be is if you as a family member up front knowingly have been noted and you actually agree to something saying if my, if the, my insurance company denies a service and I still want to have those services, I agree to pay out of pocket. And if they sign what is known as a self, it's like an individual self-paying agreement, then that would be a legally an abiding contract. And that would be like, I'll give you the best example I could say is the one I noted to you before where the person doesn't really meet medical necessity care anymore, but the family doesn't want to take them home. They want them to stay in the hospital. Of course. Because they're afraid if they then want to continue for the people to see them, and they're willing to then say, you know what, if you don't do this, then we're willing to pay. Totally perfect legal situation. But that's being upfront, agreed upon thing, not after the fact, saying your insurance denied it. Now I'm going to bill you. That's something that they need to know upfront. Up be, Or they know upfront this is a non covered service. So if you choose to see me, you need to know up front insurances are going to cover that. Now, I know that that a piece, uh, a piece about that that gets very difficult is that a lot of times parents are signing those documents in the hospitals under a duress. tremendous amount of duress because their kid just tried to kill themselves. Right. And they're, they're like, you know, you're, you're putting stacks of papers in front of them. You're trying to talk them through it. You're asking them to read carefully. They haven't slept in three days because the kid finally just came back after an OD runaway situation. Like, it's it feels like a no-win situation. And then to have an insurance company come back and say, we're going to deny the claim because your child is no longer uh, in crisis. Nope, and I totally get you. And that is unfortunately one of the negatives partially in not just the insurance industry, but in the, I would say in the payer and the provider industry. So... An example I will give you, um, there's a leading hospital in Massachusetts. You can kind of figure it out afterwards. <laughs> it's one of the most known psychiatric facilities in, this entire in the world. Sure. Um, that has a number of programs that are covered by insurance. They also have several programs that are self-pay. A person might not, because of the situation you noted, be under extreme duress and had selected a program that was a self-pay inadvertently sign things thinking because when they look in the system, they see the name of the entity and it says the insurance company right. has this, not realizing right. that it's only specific programs. And that is also, in all honesty, one of the biggest faults also in the insurance industry because they see the name of the hospital and it doesn't note the specific programs within that hospital that are covered by the payer. Right. 
That is confusing. Th- this is something and that you, could be an appeal, right? This is something that you also talked about yesterday. And as we're wrapping around to the end of the end of the time, I want I would love for you to address, which is. Um, because you have an insurance policy, you were saying that people like, it's okay, we're covered. Right. I think that people don't get that there's, there's a lot of, uh, I want to say fallacious information out there, fallacies. So a person could have an insurance policy, and I'm going to use the example that I started off with in Massachusetts. Chapter 258, which was the state mandate that was put in, which allows people to get 14 days fully covered for all levels of care of the substance abuse. So a person says, well, I live in Massachusetts. I'm covered. You could have, if you are not a fully insured person, you're self-insured, so you work for an employee group that has, they can make a decision. They're giving you coverage, but they can choose what services they may choose to opt out. They could choose that substance abuse is not going to be a covered benefit. You think you're covered. Guess what? You may not be covered. Or you may be covered, another very common thing in, in our state, which may be in other states, they may have what is known as, which is going to become more and more common with the accountable care organizations, they might have what is known as a capitated arrangement, which means, as you noted, they can get their access to their services, but they're only limited to a certain subset of the hospitals, which may be in their larger network, but only a subset of those larger network do they actually truly have access to. Wow. So people don't realize that, and they just go there, and then they find out, oh, by the way, you're not covered. You were only covered for these few subsets of hospitals. That's an issue. That's tough. And then I would go one step further. If you go to other states, which, and I used this example before, substance abuse, which we all acknowledge is a brain disease. It's, 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 it's ICD-10, DSM-5. They all recognize it. In some states, particularly in the South, in a lot of the religious Bend states, do not see substance abuse. They believe that people are evil that have done these. And there's a shame system there. In a lot of those cases, they don't cover substance abuse benefits at all. So you can say, and that is a foot. So people assume because you have a policy doesn't always mean that you have power. So what I always encourage family members to do, before they go put them, I know it's a lot of times done in the emergency room. Yeah, yeah. You got it. You need to do some due diligence and call to make sure you're going to get covered because the last thing you want to get is that surprise bill for thousands of dollars because at the end of the day, you did, you went to a place that was not covered. And an example might be, an example might be is a person that has a PPO policy, which yeah. is an out-and-out policy. They go to an out-and-out facility where the insurance company is going to cover 80% of that and guess what? You're now on the hook for 20%. 20%. Well, 20% of $1,000 a day, if a person's in a 30-day program, you just acquired a pretty big bill. You got a $6,000 bill. I don't know how many people have $6,000 readily. Yeah, just sit under around. the mattress. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's unfortunate. And that's one of the negatives. So people really need to check the fine print of their plan and to make sure when they're going in. I realize a lot of times, and a lot of times if you go to an ER, you're hoping that the hospital is working with you and try to do that, but they're overwhelmed as well. Yeah. So that's why it's really critical to family meet and try to work together. You know, David, I think, I think in the, in the short time that we've had together, what you've brought up, which is, you know, get an advocate, treat these people like a partner, you know, find an advocacy group, appeal when they say no, uh, work with your clinical folks, check with your employer assistant programs, review the claims that were made for mistakes. Um, but the due diligence on the policy in the first place, like these things read like Ikea instructions in, and 
it's, you need another set of eyes on your policy. Your HR department can help with policies. Yep. Your, your, your insurance agents can help with the policies. Like there's resources and you need to use them. David, how can people talk about the facility you're with right now? How can people get in touch? Yep. Uh, are you an adult facility, a child facility? I that. Yep. My, my company's name is Spectrum Health Systems. And we just actually celebrated our 50th anniversary. Congratulations. So that's one that's thing a I'm long very time. Proud of, um, and I think that why I highlight that is what I think makes us unique is we're not a, a program that there's been a lot of, whenever there's an epidemic, a lot of new entities tend to join a market. Ta-da! A, 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 and they may not always have the same missions in place. Right. Uh, so they might have been invoked with, you know, uh, venture capitalist money and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. We started off, we stole a not-for-profit organization. We have uh, we got primarily in for the needs of the mass health population, which is the Medicaid population. Yeah. Uh, in 2015, we opened up the New England Recovery Center, which is still a not-for-profit branch of our organization as well, but it's a subsidiary and it treats commercial members. One of the things that I did, which I think was critical, is that I made sure in a lot of cases we're like insurance blind, because the last thing you want is a an emergency room or a provider to find an open bed and then find out, oops, you, we don't. They, this they don't take your insurance company. Right. So I've tried to eliminate that on behalf of the clients. Uh, what I also love about our company is we do a full continuum of services. So that means inpatient, residential, IOP, outpatient, PS services, and now what they do is, which is now known as recovery navigators, recovery coaches. And what I think that's so critical, what makes Spectrum such a great facility and a great program, and I think a huge differentiator is that. We do not require patients to be stepped down to every level of care. We believe that the client should go to what is the most appropriate level of care based upon medical necessity, which basically means a person can be a direct admit to an IOP or to an outpatient. They don't need to start at the highest level to go step down to each one because it's not medically appropriate. And we want to get people in the least restrictive setting that makes the most sense based upon their needs. And we believe with all those things that we offer them, we believe if they go through the proper channels, it has the greatest likelihood of success in being able to maintain this sobriety, because that's at the end of the day, that's the goal. That's what we're in it for. Contact information. How do people contact? Yeah, so for Spectrum Health Systems, we have a website. It's www.spectrumhealthsystems.org. We're not a .com. We are a .org. And we also just, uh, this past year, finally got a vanity line. Uh, so I'm proud to say that. It's called one eight seven seven my rehab And oh, that nice. number is uh, available 24-7. Because uh, we do realize a lot of times these episodes and issues happen in the evening. Somebody can contact us, and we can usually, if it's a commercial member, we can handle those 24-7. Uh, if it's a mass health member, it's usually done during, you know, 7 in the morning until pretty late in the evening, and we can try to treat those members. Uh, but we do everything we can to get the members in as soon as we can uh, to meet those needs. And, again, uh, it's been a really great collaborative effort, and I really have to acknowledge, I know, People have all these concerns on the payer side. I really have to say live, working in Massachusetts has been a really fortunate thing because I do think, in our, at least in our state, the insurance industry I see as a true partner with us and not a adversarial relationship. So I do want to give kudos to all the payers. Nice. nice. David Nafusi, thanks for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Parents, you know what you got to do. Uh, these insurance companies see them as a partner. And we'll see you next week. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back, coming to you from the 32nd Annual CCSAD. That's the Cape Cod Symposium on Addictive Disorders. 
Thank you to C4 Events for having me here. I also want to thank Dylan at Deepin Productions. Dylan does my sound engineering. He also does the music for Beyond Risk and Back. So if you need to get in touch with Dylan, go to deepinproductions at gmail.com. That's D-E-E-P-E-N productions at gmail.com. If you've seen anything about Beyond Risk and Back on social media, you can thank Your Cause Consulting. To get in touch with Your Cause Consulting to handle your marketing needs, go to info at yourcauseconsulting.com and send them an email. Thanks so much for listening, parents. Remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. This has been Aaron Huey, and I will talk to you soon.